0: Welcome to The New Arab Voice, our podcast bringing you compelling stories and deep dives from the Middle East, Africa, Asia and beyond.
1: Hello and welcome back to The New Arab Voice. It's Friday the 14th of January 2022 My name is Hugo Goodridge and I'll be your host today, coming to you from London. For our first episode of the new year, we'll be diving headfirst into Turkey's currency crisis and then producer Rosie McCabe will be talking to the people behind the upcoming Syrian Arts and Culture Festival. But first, a quick look at the biggest headlines from the past week. In Kazakhstan, nearly 6,000 people, including a number of foreigners, have been arrested over riots that have shaken Central Asia's largest country. Fuel price rises sparked the unrest that broke out a week ago in western provincial areas, but quickly spread to large cities, including the economic hub Almaty, where riots erupted and police opened fire using live rounds. A number of foreign nations were alarmed when Russia began sending troops to help deal with the unrest, including Russian paratroopers, who have been securing strategic sites. In the nakab Desert in Israel, several Palestinian villages began a general strike on Tuesday morning to protest the raising of Bedouin land. The Higher Steering Committee for Arabs in the Negev announced the strike, after an emergency meeting on Monday as part of an action escalating over a period of six months. Locals told the New Arab's Arabic sister service Al-Arabi al-Shadid that Israeli police continued their raids in the region on Tuesday, uprooting tents set up to host sit-in demonstrations. Iraq's new parliament held its first session last Sunday, nearly three months after Iraqis voted in a general election, whose results have been contested by powerful Iran-backed
2: factions.
1: The meeting ushers in what is likely to be a lengthy period of political wrangling among rival groups to choose a new president and prime minister. Lawmakers from Shiite cleric Muqt al-Sadr's bloc arrived early to the parliament building in Baghdad, donning white shrouds, Muslims used to wrap their dead in a sign of their willingness to die for him. Al-Sada, one of Iraq's most influential political leaders, was the biggest winner in the October 10th vote, securing 73 out of parliament's 329 seats. And in Germany, a court convicted a Syrian security official with crimes against humanity on Thursday marking the first time a high-ranking member of the regime has been held responsible for crimes committed during Syria's civil war. The verdict is a landmark decision for victims of the Syrian regime and was considered an important example of the principles of universal jurisdiction to prosecute crimes against humanity. The 58-year-old security official Anwar Raslan was charged with torture, murder, rape and aggravated sexual assault during his time as a commanding officer at the notorious Branch 251 regime prison in Syria from April 2011 to September 2012. German prosecutors say he oversaw the torture of at least 4,000 people and the murder of at least 58. He has been given a life sentence, and is expected to serve at least 15 years before he is released. For complete coverage and in-depth analysis of these stories and more, head over to the new Arab website. Every weekend, we used to be able to go out or have a picnic with my children. Now, it's not possible. We can't afford it. We absolutely have to live in a planned, calculated way. That's where we are now. During 2021, a rumbling crisis grew in Turkey. As the year came to an end, it gathered both speed and became even more serious. The value of Turkey's national currency, the Turkish lira, has been witnessing a steady decline losing value and causing great concern. In 2021 alone, the Turkish lira lost 44% of its value against the US dollar. The steady decline in value has proven to be a great source of worry for financial experts and policymakers in the country. And if the trend continues, which it appears likely to do, then further troubles are anticipated. And of course, When the Turkish economy sneezes, it's the citizens who get a cold. At the start of 2021, the minimum wage for Turkish citizens was 2,826 lira, which was worth around $380. Today, that same minimum wage is worth just $186. But why has the value of the Turkish lira seen such a dramatic drop? What effect has it had on the country's population? And what does it mean for the country's strongman leader, President of Turkey, Recep Tayyip Erdogan? The
2: most important reason for the lira's depreciation is the lack of trust and the lack of a clear economic
1: policy. This is Enver Erkan, Chief Economist at Terra Investment, an Istanbul-based investment firm.
2: So uh, what is meant by net clear policy is to move away from policies implemented outside of generally accepted economic principles.
1: Under the stewardship of President Erdogan, moving outside of generally accepted economic principles has been the name of the game. This has been most clearly seen with his attitude towards the relationship between inflation and interest rates.
2: Turkey has been uh, making a policy losing by applying a a low interest policy despite rising inflation for a while. But we see uh, the result of this as more strain on higher inflation uh, and rising borrowing costs as a result. The fact that price stability has been put in the background uh, with the new economic package, new economic perspective and the main policy tool, That shows that policies are far from orthodoxy, far from general principles.
1: The idea of mixing low interest rates at a time of high inflation is, by all generally accepted economic principles, not normal. Yet despite this, the Turkish president has continued to insist that it is the correct path for the country.
0: Every day we ask ourselves these questions. How am I going to pay rent? How am I going to make it to the end of the month? What are the new prices going to be tomorrow in the supermarkets? That's what we think about all the time, and it's very hard.
1: With the inherent instability of the Turkish lira and a lack of trust in economic leaders, many citizens are choosing to abandon the currency altogether.
3: Of course, governments do interfere in market economy and go against the markets sometimes and, and of course, have the right to regulate the market.
1: This is Asla Aydin Tashbash, Senior Policy Fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations.
3: But because of the structures in the economy and president's deviation from a rules-based order in the management of the economy, and in a certain sense, the inflationary forces, this made no sense. The freefall of the lira is a product of the fact that majority of Turks want to keep their savings in foreign currencies, uh, somewhere near 60% of the uh, bank accounts.
1: Amid news of record levels of inflation and increasing vocal anger, President Erdogan addressed Parliament on January 12th. the high The world knows how uncomfortable I am with high interest rates. I have never been pro-interest rates. I wasn't today and I won't be tomorrow. We have quit the monetary policy based on high interest rates and instead switched to a growth strategy based on investments, employment, production, and exports. Before we continue, it's worth taking a quick trip back to the classroom to brush up on some Economics 101. Firstly, inflation.
0: The International Monetary Fund defines inflation as the rate of increase in prices over a given period of time. Inflation is typically a broad measure, such as the overall increase in prices or the increase in the cost of living in a country.
1: Pretty simple. As a country experiences inflation, the cost of goods and services increases. All economies experience inflation and typically seek to achieve a rate of inflation that is low and stable. By keeping control of inflation, a nation can maintain price stability, which is generally considered a good thing. Next, interest rates.
0: Interest is the cost of credit or the cost of money. It is the amount a borrower agrees to pay to compensate a lender for using their money and to account for the associated risks. While there are many different interest rates in financial markets, the policy interest rate set by a country's central bank provides the key benchmark for borrowing costs in the country's economy. Central banks vary the policy rate in response to changes in the economic cycle and to steer the country's economy by influencing many different, mainly short-term, interest rates.
1: To keep it simple, interest rates tend to either be high or low. Typically, when a country is experiencing economic stability or prosperity, interest rates and resulting loan repayments will be higher. The high interest rates encourage consumers to keep their money in banks where it can grow. When a country's economy is going down, a central bank will normally set low interest rates. This is designed to encourage consumers to borrow and subsequently spend money and feed the local and national economy. With low interest rates and more loans, the amount of money within an economy increases. And when the abundance of an item increases, the value of the item falls. So tying these principles together... When you have low interest rates, you will invariably get higher inflation. But despite the pattern of rising inflation in the country, President Erdogan still maintains that it is high interest rates that cause inflation. In Turkey, the central bank, under the orders of President Erdogan, are keeping interest rates low, which in turn pushes up inflation. Back to Enver.
2: And he explains this uh, by reflecting the increasing financing costs of the companies on their products they sell. He thinks that if borrowing costs are low, firms will create more investment and employment. Of course, low interest rates are desirable in terms of directing companies' resource allocations to economic growth, more employment, capacity increase, and production. Okay, but without price stability... Uh, however, uh, none of this would happen. You know, central bank cut the policy rate after September and uh, sent the uh, lira's return to very low levels, deeply negative territories uh, against inflation. And inflation uh, gets higher as the lira depreciates here. We reach 36 percent in December 2021, and I think it will uh, rise to above 50% here because of the cost inflation.
1: Turkey's interest rate currently stands at 14%, and inflation continues to rise. According to Enver, the government hopes that a new economic policy of low interest rates will be able to boost exports and subsequently bring foreign currencies into the country a considerable divergence from the import-oriented model of the Turkish economy. So far, the hoped-for exports have not materialised at the needed levels, with the inflation rate cited as the reason, compounded with external factors, such as the global pandemic, which Turkey has no control over. Furthermore, on the existing import side of the Turkish economy, inflation means that the goods that are available are increasingly becoming out of reach for many average citizens.
2: We need to think about the contribute to the investment and export-oriented economy, not only by keeping the interest rates low or keeping the Turkish currency low. We need to see the ultimate goals of the economic approach, this new economic model, As positive, okay, but we also attach importance to the infrastructure side here, administrative infrastructure for a real transformation effect. It's not only by the rates or it's not only by the currency side. Uh, I think it's about the structural transformation of the economy.
1: When you look at the Turkish economy, measuring the millions and billions, recording the percentage change and considering one economic model to another, it can be easy to lose sight of where this all leads. It ends in the pockets and on the tables of ordinary Turkish citizens, living at the mercy of their economic leaders. Asler again.
3: It has affected people hugely. So you have very high inflation, closer to 50%, when it comes to food and energy prices with the result that people are economically suffering but also feeling the impact in terms of their nutrition, their ability to put food on the table, in terms of car use, being able to get to work. Istanbul traffic, once it was notorious, but has started quieting down in part because people cannot use their cars. You hear a lot about not being able to buy enough meat, not being able to buy enough basic food substance, and of course, energy prices are going through the roof, especially in this cold winter.
1: For Turkish citizens experiencing financial struggles, many are looking at and blaming the author of these policies, President Erdogan. During his term as President of Turkey, and particularly since the attempted coup of 2016, Erdogan has isolated himself at the top of the pyramid opposition to his ideas and his rule have been suppressed or removed. Central bank officials, governors and finance ministers have all been sacked by the president for not supporting his low interest rate policies. He wished for complete control and it came true. But don't people say you should be careful what you wish for?
3: in many ways, the president is a victim of his own success. He is so strong that he doesn't have to worry about checks and balances and institutions even in the management of the economy. He can sack the central bank governor without having to worry about the opposition, the media or or other institutions that may in fact limit his powers. But is it a good idea to keep sacking central bank governors or, or finance ministers or to change, rotate. Uh, the management of the economy is not supposed to be a revolving door. That's the one area where you want stability, particularly so that investors, whether they're foreign investment investors or locals, do not panic.
1: For all those in Erdogan's AKP ruling party, they work in a maximalist environment. You're either with the president or you're against him.
3: The president has made it abundantly clear that he values loyalty over, in some sense, merit. But also, in, when it comes to the economy, he has said to so himself that he disagrees with people who argue against his theories on inflation and interest rates. Well, When you talk to some leading AKP Names or even businessmen close to AKP, they are worried and they do express it and they're worried about what the president is doing. But they tend to whisper this as opposed to come out and publicly say it.
1: Erdogan has the option to listen to whichever voices he chooses. It's one of the perks of being president. But sooner or later, more specifically in 2023, he will have to answer to the Turkish public. Who will be casting their ballot for president and asking themselves, are they better off with or without Erdogan? Recent polls suggest that many think they are better off without.
3: I think it's very difficult for the president to gain uh, back his popularity. It's some his, his approval rating is around high 30s now, 38, 39. But when he's pulled against some of the potential presidential candidate, particularly the mayor of Istanbul or the mayor of Ankara, he does uh, significantly poorly with a difference that is uh, more than 10 points. Uh, the, the president has to, make the, has to make the economy work to win back some of the support he has lost. He also has to divide up the opposition camp one way or another. It's not as easy and it's not something he can take for granted. And he knows this. This is why there's been so much focus on the opposition, on the mayor of Istanbul, the president accusing uh, Istanbul uh, municipality of aiding and abetting terrorists, you know, working with Kurdish separatists, et cetera. All of these are things in the run up to 2023 but, uh, campaign material, so to speak. But at the end of the day, Turkish voters, They vote with their pocketbook and the president has, to, in order to win back some of the support he has lost, he has to make the economy
1: work. President Erdogan seems unlikely to deviate from the path of low interest rates before the election of 2023. He appears determined that the policy of low interest rates, irregardless of how high inflation rises, will be the answer to Turkey's problems. And as Enver Erkan says, it might be part of the solution. But for true, stable and lasting economic prosperity, Turkey needs to engage at all points and not just one.
2: Uh, It is difficult to predict how far this can go since the policy perspective applied is not uh, at a conventional point. It uh, needs to be done with a different framework. Uh, We see that the U-turn effect is for for this policy the bar is set high but this could be implemented by through a more general side and a more forward thinking side i think transforming the economy through a competition of high technology high technology exporting high technology production by getting know-how from outside the technological advancement side and giving importance to higher education for young population, job growth. So that's a more complex thing rather than keeping uh, lira rates, keeping interest rates low.
4: January and February, London will play host to the Syrian Arts and Culture Festival. It is a multidisciplinary arts festival, the first of its kind, and features musicians, filmmakers, authors and artists from Syria. The event aims to highlight the richness of Syrian cinema, music and history, offering audiences an alternative perspective on the country's vibrant arts and culture.
5: Around 2017, 2018, we had like a small idea of doing some screenings. Small screenings. This
4: is Yaman Mukhdad, one of the organisers and directors of the festival. Originally from Damascus, Syria, Yaman has been in London for around 10 years. He's been a DJ, podcaster, producer and organiser of music events and research projects. I asked him where the idea for the festival originally came from and how this idea developed into a multidisciplinary event
5: had like a small idea of doing some screenings, small screenings for uh, Omar Amir films. I don't know if you're familiar with it.
4: Omar has been heralded as the, quote, godfather of Arab nonfiction film, end quote. Born in Damascus, he was an activist and award-winning director. He's remembered for creating personal and provoking cinematic experiences over a 40-year career.
5: Because a lot of my fellow Syrians didn't know about his work and it wasn't being screened around around London. So the idea was just to organise a couple of small screenings. And then in 2018, when the uh, Palestine Film Festival was happening, I shared the idea with our friends from Mersam Khaled and the team. The idea quickly evolved from like a, a couple of Omar um, Amirlai's film screenings to multidisciplinary arts festival, in a way, and uh, like relating to music and cinema and panels.
4: The festival is showcasing Omar's short and feature-length films from 1970 to 2003. This includes Everyday Life in a Syrian Village and there are so many things left to say. The festival describes itself as a, quote, site of counter-representation, end quote. I ask what they are trying to counter and how.
0: I think over what we've seen over the past 10 years, especially, there's been a lot about Syria, about Syrians. Um, This
4: is Daniela Nofa. She is an organiser and director at the
0: festival. However, I think a lot of the, the narratives maintained by the media and upheld by them and how stories are told on behalf of Syrians, rather than a lot of the time being by Syrians themselves and being portrayed in a position of being a victim or a weak or vulnerable. That's, that's not to say that hasn't been an extremely emotional and difficult process for many Syrians who have had to make the tough decision to leave Syria and find home elsewhere. But it's, it's how, how that's been represented, how it's been used, how it's, been, it's taken away one's agency and one's dignity. And so what we're hoping to do with this festival is to challenge exactly that, that no, Syrians aren't the weak link in, in, in this, that they're doing exceptional work. Yaman also said,
4: that while a lot of focus has been given to the cultural output of the revolution, which has been vast and powerful, the festival hopes to shed light on the canon of Syrian artists and creators who were before 2011.
5: As a first run for the festival, to go back to the roots, go back to the people who were doing the work prior to 2011, who were committed to those values prior to 2011, and who... Because we, as Syrians, let alone like uh, people outside of Syria, because we didn't have the chance to experience these things. Like as as Brahim, uh, he speaks four or five languages of the Mesopotamian, you know, and sings in them. Dima and her amazing project and the research she's done.
4: um... Dima Osho is a Syrian musician and composer. She will open the festival with her project, Lullabies for Troubled Times. I got the chance to speak to Dima and ask her about how life in Syria has influenced her music. Main
6: um, uh, influence was from the environment because, as you know, in Syria there is unlimited amount of mixed cultures of um, you know they have, so um, you can hear all this at the same time whenever you go in the taxi you hear different kind of stuff and uh, when you go to some friends you listen to different kind of music so it's like really a mixture of beautiful, colorful very inspiring music background, if I may say.
4: Dima told me she discovered the collection of lullabies that feature in her set when she was doing research for another project. She had not heard them before, but she wanted others to hear them, to listen to the melody and share in the histories carried with them.
6: Uh, And usually, I mean, what I I noticed about the lullabies in uh, in the Middle East, or maybe I think it's something like universal. It's like original, original lullabies are not really to put kids to bed. They are like the last moments of, you know, of, of, I don't want to say suffering, but at that time it might be suffering. Uh, The last moments of, um, you know, the mom is holding her son, putting him to bed after a long day. uh, She's tired, she's depressed. They had wars, they had poverty, they had a lot of stressful time. So she is telling her heart out while she is putting her kid to bed. She's not telling him sweet words. It's very deep words. It's very into the heart stab words. You know what I mean? So it is kind of this moment that she's, she's calming down herself.
4: For Dima, events like the Syrian Art and Culture Festival provide an important moment for Syrians to come together and heal.
6: Well, to be honest, mainly to bring Syrians together because they miss each other. They miss seeing friends. They miss seeing people who know, uh, who know uh, their jokes who know the taste of uh, an ugly sandwich uh, in some, you know, suburbs where everybody knows this place. So they, they, they miss living these small details of their life. So um, I think it's important for us to heal.
4: Of course, not just Syrians, but everyone is invited to experience the festival and share in this moment of strength. Final words to Yamin.
5: First up is to... Uh, Enjoy this and work hard towards making it happen. And after that, it's about, you know, what we've learned, what's the best approach going forward, how can we include more uh, more Syrians in the process and how can we make it a sustainable, ongoing effort that can uh, represent Syria and bring together Syrians and, and people who want to celebrate the culture of Syria uh, in a sustainable way.
1: The Syrian Arts and Culture Festival starts on January 20th and runs until February 4th. Events will be held across London and for more details you can visit their website sacf.art. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of The New Arab Voice. It was produced by myself, Hugo Goodridge and Rosie McCabe with additional help from Safa Amma, Austin Patrick-Cooper, Sophia Abu Dari and Benjamin Ashraf. Our theme music was by Omar El-Phil. The New Arab Voice will be back in two weeks' time. Until then, you can find all our previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our Instagram page and Twitter account both at The New Arab Voice for additional content. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And you can also rate and review, which helps us spread the word. Don't forget to follow the new Arab on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest news from the region.